Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Now, let's check out this week's message from Pastor Lawrence. Let me begin my message this morning by telling a story that John Maxwell loves to tell uh, in his leadership podcast, but he tells a story about this woman who was very, very lonely. She lived by herself, and she just desired to have some conversation in the house. You know how that is. So she went down to the local pet store and bought a parrot. This parrot could talk, right? And he would have some conversations with her. She'd finally have someone in the house that she could talk to. She brought the parrot home, and that bird did not talk. She put it in the cage, and she sat back, and she was waiting for some conversation, and nothing happened. He didn't talk. She tried talking to him, asking him questions, and doing the bird talk thing. Nothing happened. The next day, she went back to the pet pet store, and she told the owner there that my bird doesn't talk. He will not talk. And the, the, the pet store owner said, oh... He needs a ladder in his cage because birds love ladders. They like to walk up the ladders and down the ladders. And when your bird is active, most likely he'll start some conversation. So she bought a ladder. She put it in his cage and she sat back and she watched that bird go up the ladder. He came down the ladder, but he said nothing. He didn't talk at all. Not at all. So she went back to the pet store the next day and told the owner this bird still wasn't talking. And he said, oh, that bird needs a swing. Birds need to get on a swing, and when they swing back and forth, right, they're happy birds, and happy birds talk. So she bought a swing. She put it in his cage. She stood back and watched. That bird got on the swing, went back and forth, but said nothing. Did not talk at all. She went back to the store the next day, told the, told the store owner that uh, the bird still is not talking, and he said that bird needs a mirror. You need to put a mirror in his cage because when birds look into the mirror, they see themselves and they'll, they'll think it's another bird and they'll start talking and then that conversation will translate to you. So she bought that mirror. She put it in his cage. That bird looked in the mirror, got on the ladder, went up the ladder, down the ladder, got on the swing, went back and forth a little bit, looked in the mirror again, but said nothing, absolutely nothing. So the next day she went back to the pet store again. The owner said, so how's the bird doing? And the lady said, well, he died. He died this morning. And the owner was kind of astonished, but he said, did did he say anything before he died? And she said, as a matter of fact, he did. He said, don't they sell any food down at that store, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, come on, that's an old one. Just, just come on, give me, give me a little, give, give me a little help here. See, food's kind of essential, isn't it? It's kind of essential. If we don't eat, we die, right? And what is essential in the physical life, there's also an essential in the spiritual life. Listen, if you don't pray, you're gonna die spiritually. You've got to be communicating with your heavenly father. So when we talk about this Lord's prayer, we're talking about prayer, something that is essential for you and I to have life so that we might know what God's will and his good and perfect will is for us. So we're going to be talking about this idea of prayer and it being essential. But here's the thing. So many times we go through our lives, we attempt to live our lives, we attempt to make decisions, we attempt to run relationships in our lives, we plan our future all without prayer. So we we often make prayer this last resort, right? When everything else fails, let's pray. Or we make it a pause in our lives. In fact, sometimes we even say, hey, let's just pause to pray. Like life happens and everything's supposed to go and then, oh, then we pause to pray. But here's the thing. Prayer needs to be the most important thing in your life. And life, things, things that happen in your life ought to be the pauses, 
right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this Lord's Prayer, and we're going to go through it line by line because I want you to discover again what it is. In her new book that's hot off the press, uh, Crystal Stein, our Grand Point Church Communications Director, she writes in her new book, she says, it's not a question about whether or not we should pray. The Bible's clear about that, right? We're told to be faithful in prayer. We're told to pray on all occasions. We're told to devote ourselves to prayer. We're told to pray continually. The question is not, should we pray, right? We know we should pray. The question is, how do we pray? How do we pray? How, what, what, what do we say? How do we pray in a way that's effective? How do we pray in a way that we know our prayers are even being heard? How do we pray so that our prayers are answered? Right, because sometimes we pray and it's like it didn't do anything. It didn't help. It's not making a difference. So how do we get into a posture of prayer? How do we get into a position of prayer where, where we know it's right? So I, I, I wanna begin this uh, series this morning with a, a reading of scripture from Psalm 62. And uh, every week we're gonna have some of our teens read the scripture for us and involve them in this. But, but in this particular passage, it tells us why we ought to be praying. And then after we read this scripture, we're gonna look at how we do it and, and unpack that as we go through this week. Today's scripture reading is, is being done by Rose Schiffler and Michaela Detweiler. And I want you to just listen into this, listen carefully to the words of it uh, because this teaches us why we pray. Hear the, the word of the Lord. Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. For he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall on a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, Wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He is only my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. Amen. I want to pull one verse out of that psalm that's going to be our theme for this morning, and it is verse 8. Psalm 62, verse 8. I want you to say this with me all together. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. That is why we pray. I need a refuge, I need that refuge, and my guess is that maybe you do as well. Now, if God is our refuge, I want you to know what that means. That means this, that if there's anything that is going on in the world right now that seems a little bit out of control, if there's anything happening in the world right now that seems to bother you or, tr or, or trouble you, you have a refuge. It also means that if there's something going on in your personal life right now that is unsettling, that is conflicting, or that's just kind of ripping at your heart, there's a refuge for that. 
There's a place where you can go. If there's a fear about your future, if you have a hard decision that you need to make, if there's, if there's an overwhelming anxiety that's just kind of eating at your life right now, there is a refuge for that. There's some place where you can go. Whatever the conflict is, there is a refuge. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is with his disciples and he's telling them exactly how to find that refuge. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is out there in the mountainside with his disciples and this is what he's sitting on the mountain and it's what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount and he's he's teaching his disciples about how different it will be in your life if you choose to follow me. Because following Christ as a believer is a totally different set of beliefs. It's a totally different way of thinking and looking at things than those who are in the world. So he's given them all of these illustrations about how it will be different. And he uses what we call the Beatitudes. And if you read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes are all about a contrast between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And it's different. If we're kingdom, if we're, if we're living for the kingdom of God, our worlds are, are kind of upside, or we're kind of living upside down from the rest of the world. And in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about law and about anger and about lust and divorce and vows and retaliation, money, worry, criticisms, and all of those things. And he's basically saying, listen, if you're choosing to follow me, you're going to be living differently when it comes to all of those things. And I don't know how the disciples felt, but when I look at this and read this, I'm thinking, oh my word, how do I do that? I mean, I live in this world. I'm influenced by the world. There's so many things that, 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 that are emotional, you know, to me. And, and I'm like, I don't know if I, I feel like I have a lot of needs, right, to live as a Christian. But Jesus addresses that in verse 8 of Matthew 6. And, and he says this. He says, um, uh, Matthew 6, he says, your father knows all these needs that you have even before you ask him. And that's when he says, this is then how you should pray. And he gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, what we're going to do, I I know that most of you know the Lord's Prayer. In fact, many of you can recite it. Sometimes we recite it on sports teams or we attach it at the end of every service that we're in, depending on the tradition that you came from. But most of us know the Lord's Prayer. But what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take every line of it and then we're going to go to other parts of the Bible that describe what that means. Because I want to know what it means when, when we say, thy kingdom come. What does that mean when we pray that in the Lord's Prayer? Or when we pray things like forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what does that look like? And how does that that work out in our lives? And I especially want to know what it means when it says, this is how you should pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. What does it mean for, for God to be our Father? And so we're going to look at that today, and that's how we're going to begin this this prayer, because the first two words, our Father, are affluent in significance. Our Father reminds us that we're either a son or we're a daughter, and we're we're children of the Heavenly Father. Now, there's two ways to become a child. One is by biological birth, and the other one is by adoption. Now, I don't know how many adopted adopted parents or children are in this room today, but adopted parents perhaps understand God's uh, plan to adopt us more than anyone else. Uh, I certainly, you know, don't want to offend any biological parents here this morning. I mean, I'm one myself, but for many of us, our cribs are filled quite easily. 
uh, you know, we, we want a child, we have this uh, plan, so we plan, we plan and then we, uh, a child comes, and sometimes a child comes even if we don't plan. You know what I mean? And, and so there's all these ways that, that, that we have these biological children. And uh, I, I've heard of unplanned pregnancies, but I don't think I've ever heard of an unplanned adoption. And so when it comes to this idea that you and I are children of the Heavenly Father by adoption, I want to understand what that means. We're not biological children of our Heavenly Father, but we are adopted uh, by Him. Now, here's how this works. When we come to Christ, Christ not only forgives us of our sins, but He adopts us. Here's how it happens. You and I are born into a world that is broken. It is corrupt with sin. That's bad news. And we can look around and we can see the bad news. We can see it unraveling. We can see it unfolding. We live in a world that is ravaged by sin and that's bad news. But the bad news gets even worse. And what is even worse than the world having sin is the very fact that you and I are born into this world with a sin nature. So you may argue that, you may dispute that, you may not even like that because we like to think of ourselves as pretty good, but the fact of the matter is we're all sinners. We have sin within us. Now, the bad news that got worse gets even worse, and that is that this, we have a God who is just and holy, and therefore, he cannot tolerate that sin. He will not work with that sin in our lives. He cannot dismiss it. But here's the thing. Even though God is holy and just and cannot dismiss your sin because of his love, he will not dismiss you. And that introduces the good news that we want to talk about this morning. Because of our sin nature, right, God is, there's justice and, and, and there's, there's a judgment that comes. But because of God's love for you, uh, he cannot dismiss you. So in an act, in one very act that stunned the heavens, he, pu- he punished himself on the cross for your sins. And here it is, now you are forgiven. You are forgiven. So the good news gets even better, but the better news gets even better than that. Not only are you forgiven, it doesn't end with that, but I want you to see what happens next. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this. So now that you have, re- you have received a spirit, or you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead, you received God's spirit when he, what? Adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the time, the set time, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption uh, to his sonship. Listen, it would have been enough if God just would have cleansed your name, but he did even more than that. He gave you his name. It would have been enough if God just set you free, but he does more more than that. He takes you home. He takes you home, right, as his children. Adoptive parents understand this more than anyone else Right? Again, I'm a biological parent, but adopted parents know exactly what that means because they understand God's passion to adopt us. They know what it means to feel this empty space inside. Right? And then they go, uh, they, they know what it means to search. They know what it, goes, what it means to go on a mission and, and to choose a child that will become their own that they can take home and give the family name. They understand that. If anyone understands God's order for his children, it's someone who has chosen a child to adopt because that's exactly what God has done for us. God has adopted you. He sought you. He found you. He signed the papers. 
and he took you home. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of witnessing an adoption up close one day. Uh, it, was, it was one of those moments where, you know, I, I didn't really have any training for this and didn't know how this works, but I was called to the hospital room where a birth mother had just given birth to her little baby. It was a little boy. And she was in the hospital room. She was on this side of the room, and she was just embracing that little guy, and her mother was standing there. So it was grandmother, and then mother, and then the baby, little, little baby boy. On the other side of the room, there was a set of parents standing there with no children at all. These were the adoptive parents, and they, by prearrangement, had come here knowing that that was going to be their child as soon as it was born. So I, I've never done this before, but there was this little ceremony right in the hospital room where I was supposed to kind of bridge the gap between the birth mother and the adoptive parents and kind of lead in that exchange. So at the right moment, when, the right, when it seemed right, the timing seemed right, we had to ask the birth mother if she's ready. And she acknowledged that she was, and with tears streaming down her face, she took her baby that was just two days old, and she brought it over, and she placed that baby right into the arms of another person that she did not even know. The question is, why did this couple do that? This couple had a very happy marriage. They were financially secure. They both had very uh, good jobs. Why would they choose to adopt this child? Did they cho- why would anybody choose to ad- adopt a child? Was, was it because they wanted you know, a little bit of extra cash and a little bit more sleep? You know better than that, right? Both of those things are depleted as soon as you bring that child home. Why would these parents, why would any parent adopt a child? And while you're thinking about the answer, let me tell you why God adopts us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this. It says, long ago, you need to put this in context. This is amazing. Long ago, even before he made the world, that's a long time ago. Even before Genesis chapter 1, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault, we who stand before him covered by his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And watch this. He did this because he wanted to. And you thought, Jesus, you thought God adopted you because you were good looking, right? You thought God adopted you because of your wisdom or your wit or your wallet? I'm sorry, God did not adopt you for any of those reasons. He adopted you simply because he wanted to. Knowing full well the trouble that you would be, knowing the full well the price that he would pay for us, he still did it. He signed his name next to yours, changed your name to his, and took you home. God adopted you, and he became your father. Now, let me stop there for a moment just to consider the fact that sometimes our experience with people has taught us that what they say, what they promise, is not always what they deliver. I just want you to know that God delivered. God delivered. You don't ever have to doubt him. He is a good, good father, perfect in every way. And so when he set out this plan that seems too good to be true, you need to know that it is not. He adopted you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And for some of us, the very fact of trust in a heavenly father is doubly difficult because your earthly father disappointed you or mistreated you. And I just want to say to all of you today, if that is the case, I don't want you to confuse your heavenly father with the fathers that you have seen here on this earth. Your heavenly father is not prone to headaches or temper tantrums. He doesn't hold you one day and hit you the next day. If your earthly father played those games, just know that your heavenly father does not and will not. 
He's perfect in every way. He loves you with an unconditional love. Now I want to return to those verses that we read before that talk about our adoption, the verses from Romans and Galatians, and I want you to see the verb that comes before that word adoption because it's significant in in us understanding this. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, you received God's spirit when he adopted you. And then also in Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Before the word adoption is that word receive. See, Paul could have used the word earned. He could have said like earning your adoption. But, but you and I both know that adoption is never earned. It is something that, that we receive. Uh, to be adopted in a family is not a feat that one achieves, but rather it's a gift that one receives. See, the parents are the active ones. Adoption agencies don't train children to recruit their parents. They seek parents to to adopt children. The parents make the call. They fill out the papers. They go through the interviews, and then they wait. Then they wait for the call. Can you imagine prospective parents say, you know what, We, we want to adopt Johnny, but there's a few things that we need to know about Johnny before we adopt him. Does he have a house to live in? Does he have money to pay his tuition? Right? Does he have a ride to school and a ride home from school? Is he able to do his laundry? Is he able to cook his meals? That's not the way it works, is it? We don't, we don't go in and, and, and make sure that all of those things are there because it, we don't adopt Johnny for what he has, but we would adopt Johnny because of what he needs. He needs a home. And that's exactly what, 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 what same thing is true with God. He does not adopt us because of what we have. He doesn't give us his name because of our wit or our wallet or our good attitude. In fact, Paul states it twice in these verses because he's doubly concerned that we understand that adoption is not something we earn, but it is something that we receive. And we need to know that, otherwise we'll never appreciate our God as our Father. And that's good to know. It's good to know because if we can't earn our adoption by stellar performance, it then follows that we can't lose it through poor performance. And sometimes our performance is not that great as kids, right? So we have this idea that maybe we're unadopted or maybe we're kicked out of the family. I want to illustrate this uh, by this tender scene that I just kind of, kind of want to paint in your minds for you. And I know you know the story, but let me just share it with you again. So there's this big picture frame here, and I want you just to look into that frame, and I want you to see the image of a father and a son. On the hill behind them is this big house, and beneath their feet is this path. And it's the very path that the father took when he left the house, and he came down the path, and it's the very path that the son has taken as he's coming up the path toward the father. And they meet at the gate. We don't see this face of of the son because his face is buried right into the chest of his father. But we see his tattered coat, we see his stringy hair, and we see the mud on the back of his legs, right? We see his empty wallet laying on the ground. Not not too long ago, that wallet was full of money and, and the son was full of pride. But now that both of those have depleted, he's standing there and he comes to his father and he does not give a gift. He doesn't even give some kind of a, an explanation. All he offers is, is the smell of pigs, right? And a rehearsed apology when he pours himself into his father's lap. He says, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember the story? No longer worthy to be called your son. 
feels unworthy of his birthright, and he's basically saying to his dad, just demote me, punish me, take my name off the mailbox, take my initials off the family tree, just remove my place at the table. The boy's content to be a hired hand, but there's only one problem. Even though the boy is unwilling to, is willing to stop being a son, the father is not willing to stop being a father. We can't see the son's face, but we can see the father's face. And as we look at the face of the father, there's a tear that's just kind of running down over his, 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 his hard cheeks. There's this smile that's showing through his silver beard. And he says to his son, he, he, he says to his son as he's holding him up with one hand and then supporting him with the other hand to, to kind of remove any doubt. He says, to, he says to the servants first, he says, bring some clothes out. Bring the best clothes out that we can put on him. Bring a ring that we can put on his finger. Kill the fat calf, right, so that we can have a feast and that we can celebrate because my son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. I mean, those words must have just stunned this young man. Dead? I mean, he thought that he lost a, a place at the family table. He thought he lost his place in the home. After all, he did abandon his father, right? He did, he did waste his inheritance. The boy assumed that he lost his privilege to sonship. The father, however, and you know the story, the father doesn't go, give up that easily. In his mind, his son is still a son. The child may have been out of the house, but he was never out of his heart. He may have left the table, but he never left the family. Now, I don't want you to miss the message. I don't want you to miss the message here. You may be willing to stop being God's child, but our father is never willing to stop being your father. I just want you to know that because sometimes we feel so distant, or maybe we feel like we've messed up so bad that God just kicked us out, that he doesn't even love us anymore, that he doesn't even care about us. Or we might even feel like we have to earn our way back in. We have to do a whole bunch of good things right now so that we can have a seat at the table again, but that's not the way it is. I just want you to see that your father is always there with open arms. It doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter how far down the path we go. It doesn't matter how empty our wallets are. It doesn't even matter how full of pride we are. Our father is still our father because he adopted you. He adopted you out of his incredible, incredible love. Here's what I want to do in our remaining time. I just want you to be, I want you to think about this. And I just want you to contemplate on this idea of this God is your father. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk, some, talk about some attributes of our God. And the whole time I'm talking about these attributes, I want you to be thinking, wow, that God is my father. That God is my father. If you are a child of God, this is who your father is. Let's go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. I just want you to meditate on this and just listen carefully. Because this is such an astounding reality. I mean, it's, al it's almost impossible for us to comprehend it, but do your best as you're just contemplating on this. The deity who was able to design and create everything that exists is your father. It's your father. That deity who has been able, by the exercise of supreme authority, to control every event in history, to have his will done in every location, and to completely control every life of every person who has ever lived, that is your father. 
the one who in magnificent love put the plan of redemption in motion so that at the right moment his son came to live and die and rise again so that we would have new and eternal life that God is your father the king who won't ever leave the work of his hands till everything he has purposed to do in us and in this world that he created has been fully done that is your father that God who never needed a teacher never needed a counselor that God who knows the stars by name and who can hold the waters of the universe in the palm of his hand that God is your father he thinks of you with pure and faithful fatherly love he acts toward you with the giving providing instructing patient and forgiving love of a perfect father he's always 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 with you his hand is always upon you never stops watching you his heart is always for you he's always at work accomplishing his plans for you and through you and if you allow him he lifts the burdens and lightens your load he is your God he's your Savior he is your friend he is our father thanks for listening and we hope you join us for the next message in our teach us to pray series connect with us on facebook and instagram at grandpoint.church and until next time remember that you belong here